Welcome nerd. Are you ready to launch 129 expedition into nerdum? Preparing for launch. Queuing bitchin rockabilly track. Priming engines. Preparing shark repellent. Unecrypting files for comics, TV, movies, wrestling. Launching ANS in 3, 2, 1. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. Christian, I'm giving the show a giant pat on the back right now. Well, it's, it's probably as much as I need one. Why is that? You're such a miserable fuck, but anyway. <laughs> seriously bad. <laughs> There's meds now. Uh, but anyway, our Spielberg month has been so successful. Jurassic Park and Jaws are number one and number two at the box office again after, what, decades? And it's, and it's all thanks to us? Obviously, right? <laughs> <laughs> We uh, rocket strapped those movies <laughs> to number one, damn it. <laughs> it's all thanks to you guys, the fans. Uh, yeah, well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Little Stevie Spielberg <laughs> needed a boost from the nerds. <laughs> I don't think Spielberg even knows who we are. No, that even, the fact that we would even think that he knows who we are is ridiculous. <laughs> so crazy enough, Jurassic Park made like... $517,000 and Jaws made like $516,000 uh, like they're pl- like playing at like a couple hundred theaters uh, you know mostly drive-ins I believe but yeah no so I box office mojo and like other sites like that aren't reporting those numbers I guess maybe because they're just like re-releases or whatever uh, but yeah no they're number one and number two at the box office which is just crazy to think it's all a conspiracy so that they don't have to pay us our cut <laughs> Yes, yes, I'm, <laughs> I'm sure they have a clue who we are. Uh. <laughs> All right, well, moving on. In episode 126 of our show, we participated in the podcast Blackout and listed out some of the many victims of police brutality and hate crimes. Victims like Breonna Taylor and George Floyd. We wanted to take a moment in this episode to reiterate that Black Lives Matter. It is important now more than ever to make your voices heard against racism and social injustices. If you're looking for more ways to help, listed in episode 126 are many different resources in our show notes. Before we move on, make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, give us a five-star review if you like the show. And if you DM us a screenshot... Not only will we read it on the show, but we'll send you some nerd swag. Let's get into the news. Every week we collect the biggest headlines and rumors in nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters, we're mere podcasters with opinions. Alright, starting off this week, Michael Keaton in talks to play Batman in Ezra Miller's Flashpoint movie. Holy shit, this is fucking crazy, right? Um, exactly. I was really surprised to see this. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of fan casting, putting Michael Keaton kind of in like an older Batman for like, you know, perhaps like a Batman Beyond film. Um, but I didn't think for a second that he'd be in like a Flashpoint movie, mm. uh, you know, with Ezra Miller. So I it just awesome. I love Michael Keaton as Batman. I love the Tim Burton Batman films. Um, I, I believe they, they both may be the nerd I am today. So, um, <laughs> but 
Yeah, I mean, this is kind of bizarre. I don't know how it's going to work. At first, I thought he'd be playing maybe like Thomas Wayne, but reports are that's not the case. He's just going to be playing an older version of Batman. I guess Jeffrey Dean Morgan is still on track to be portraying Thomas Wayne in this movie. So I don't know. It's an interesting choice. You know, maybe we will eventually get Batman Beyond. Uh, Also, it seems like Batman is going to be playing kind of a Nick Fury role, which we heard this about Superman like a month ago, right? Yeah, exactly. Where he's going to be like tying a bunch of movies together and making like cameos and shit. So I don't know if they're going to be doing this whole like crisis on infinite earths, like, I don't know, crossover, uh, you know, amongst all their movies. Uh, it just feels like uh, like they're biting off way more than they could chew. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like bump the brakes, DC. Uh, you just kind of just got back in the swing of things. Uh, but I don't know. I, it, it, we'll see, I guess. Right. Yeah. I just, you know, when I when I see this, I think it's it's a mistake. You know, it's it's the Flash's first film. So you're just you're taking on way too much for this character right now. Uh, you would think they would try to get away from these crazy huge events, especially after you know seeing the failures of Justice League and Batman versus Superman. But it seems like we're just on that same track. Yeah, uh, we're just gonna beat it along. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited for a Flashpoint film, especially if it's more like just like resetting, like the DC universe's like continuity, but. You know, when you start talking about, like, an overreaching arc, like, amongst, like, multiple movies, that does feel like too much. And it's, mm-hmm. I mean, wasn't Ezra Miller, like, choking people in, like, alleys in France or Shh, something? It never it's, happened. It it's, never <laughs> Did he happened. use the speed force to go back in time and erase that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, not to make light of it, but, like, is he even attached to this film anymore? I don't know. I don't know how this is still like going forward. You know, why haven't they just brought up Gustin at this point? Yeah, yeah. I mean, seriously, <laughs> that guy, he makes an awesome flash. Why not? Exactly. Yeah, it's just bizarre. Yeah. Like, how did that just get buried all of a sudden? I don't know. All right. Well, let's move on, Christian. All right. Uh, up next, we have Alpha Flight is the latest Marvel team rumored for an MCU debut. Yes, so in a tweet from Night Edge Media's Caleb Williams, uh, he posted a picture of the old-school Alpha Flight um, and saying, coming soon to the MCU. Uh, So people all got excited, and I just questioned the fact that they would be bringing Alpha Flight up before they brought the X-Men up. Yeah. (laughs) So that just, it just seems weird that they'd bring Alpha Flight up before they brought, you know, the X-Men up, especially since that original team had such heavy ties to the X-Men. Mm. So I'm wondering if there's just kind of like a miscommunication, if this is actually, you know, Captain Marvel's version of the team. Yeah, you know, exactly. Who were I mean, more like, you know, space police, basically. Mm. You know, they worked with S.W.O.R.D., I believe. So I think there were some Alpha Flight, like original Alpha Flight members, I believe, part of that team. But yeah, I, I'm wondering if this is more like Carol's group than, you know, the original one, like, you know, led by like Guardian and stuff. It only makes sense. It feels like that's kind of the route they're going forward with um, Captain Marvel, with all the rumors we've seen in the past. Well, you know, we just saw like... we saw Nick Fury at the end of uh, the last Spider-Man film, you know, up in space on some giant space station. 
Exactly. And we can only assume that that is sword. So uh, we got another Marvel rumor. They're thinking about setting up Dr. Doom's MCU debut featuring another villain. So according to MCU Cosmic, uh, they are going to be introducing uh, the nation uh, Latveria to the universe. Um, and they're going to use uh, another villain, Lucia von Bardes, as the prime minister of Latveria. Uh, and that's going to be kind of like the gateway to Doom, I guess. I don't know how I feel about this. I, I feel like it's a little anticlimactic. Like, I don't want, like, you know, an origin story for Doom. I don't feel like we need that. I feel like we could just jump into things. But I also don't need it teased with, like, you know, I don't know, a, a third-rate, you know, villain that I've barely even heard of before. You know, I hear what you're saying. Doing like a glorified cameo that no one's even going to truly understand. <laughs> I mean, I guess in the comics, she like overthrew Doom and took over Latveria at one point. I doubt they're going that route, though. So I don't know, man. Just give me fucking Doom already. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> I mean, it could be a similar build to how they led up to Thanos, you know. It could be like just breadcrumbs and then teases. I don't, I don't, you know. I don't, come on. <laughs> <laughs> We've waited long enough, goddammit. <laughs> you, they gotta do it right, David. I don't, why does that have to be the right way to do it, though? I, I don't know, it worked before. I can, I can totally see that. But then why you're getting thought. to like, you know, it becoming formulaic if you keep on doing shit like that. So I, I, I just give me doom. Okay, <laughs> I'm done waiting, Christian. We've waited long enough. You know, I'm interested to see like you know characters like uh, Black Panther dealing with Latveria or something like that. You know, or like have it um, in the uh, the Falcon and Winter Soldier show, like just little pieces. I don't mind that kind of stuff. Well, I think they should definitely on. like like it being on a map or they mention it in a news mm. story. Fine, but like. Don't give me this little story arc with this character, and then like we have to wait another movie or two before we actually see Doom. You know, like you she's want serving Doom, and Doom. Doom bots everywhere, huh? Yeah, <laughs> fuck that. <laughs> I feel like we're gonna get a Fantastic Four announcement soon. Oh yeah, definitely. You know, with all the delays and everything, I think they want to give us something to like tide us over. I know nothing, so. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like all like arrows are pointing in that direction where they're just like, okay, we got to give them something to like tide them over um, mm -hmm. with all the delays. So why not throw them a bone? No, I definitely think fantastic four is coming real soon. Yes, absolutely. They've, they've upped the marketing uh, like with like toys and everything like that. There's a lot more like fantastic four like products out there on the shelves mm -hmm. So just action figures, Funko Pops and everything. They're definitely like greasing the wheels right now. I just wish I cared more about the comic. <laughs> Me too. Me too. But uh, like I said, all I care about is Doom. So whatever. Uh. <laughs> as, as long as it gets to like, you know, Doom facing off against the Avengers. Hey, man, whatever. That's cool. <laughs> whatever works. Yeah. <laughs> Although I would like to see John Krasinski as Reed Richards. So hopefully they get that done. <laughs> How about his doom? Well, that'd be ridiculous. No. <laughs> <laughs> Who would you cast as doom? I don't. I don't know yet. You know, um, we, we got to say the typical name, right? Idris Elba. <laughs> <laughs> we have to bring him to the table in pretty much every MCU role. <laughs> He's already in the MCU, though. Yeah, 
Heimdall's barely in it anymore. Right? Well, he's dead. So. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I think they really missed the boat using Matt Mickelson like in Doctor Strange already. I feel like he would have been a fucking awesome Doctor Doom, right? No, he'd be perfect for it. Am I am I wrong here? No, you're not wrong. And I, I bet at the time they they didn't have the right to Fantastic Four, so they're like, whatever. We, you know, he's a great actor, so let's use him as our villain. But you know, man, he'd be the perfect Doctor Doom. Funny enough, I could actually see Cumberbatch playing him. Oh, that's a good pull. I could see that, but yeah, that's obviously not going to happen. Um, <laughs> Christian, you know who loves to wear a mask? Uh, who? Tom Hardy. <laughs> <laughs> He's too busy being Venom, man. We also cast Tom Hardy and everything, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> We're not even sure if Venom is in like the MCU like universe, like if that's going to cross over. So. They're trying. They They're trying real hard. He's wearing a mask. It doesn't matter. <laughs> You don't really ever get to see Doom's face. He could do an accent. It, w- it would work. He'd love that yeah. shit. He loves a mask, <laughs> I, Christian. I do feel like they will go with an unmasked version of Doom at some point. Why? Why would they do that? It, it's just it's just what happens. No. They always knock off the mask at some... Oh, fucking... for a split second or something. Okay, I thought you meant like for a movie <laughs> or something. I was like... That's awful. I hope not. Well, the first Fantastic Four had a completely unmasked Doom. For yes, movie. but that was like an origin story. That was before he was like, you know, fully Doctor Doom, if you will. I guess, but you know, that's it's a even the second one had a unmasked Doom. Did it? Yes, he um goes. No to one the remembers planet. that movie, and they're both awful. So who cares? <laughs> I what's remember that movie because it was fucking horrible. <laughs> yeah, what's your point? <laughs> those are those are two awful movies. So you know, I'm do the op- I'm pretty sure Kevin Faki is smart enough to do the opposite of what those movies did. He might be too busy. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, in Foggy, we trust. All right, all right, fine. Before we move on, this is a word from our sponsor, Manscaped. Flowers are blooming. The grass is growing, and it's time to mow your lawn. Thanks to our sponsor, Manscaped, you can now trim your hedges below the belt safely and efficiently. We're talking about ball trimmers, man. Manscaped is here to make sure your balls are smooth and smelling nice. After all, it's time for some spring clean. Christian, ball hygiene is important. No one wants to feel like their testicles betray on Dagobah all day long. That's why I was super excited when my wife got me Manscaped's Perfect Package 3.0. Last anniversary, my little Yodas have never been happier. (laughs) Manscaped is the only men's brand dedicated to below-the-waist grooming. They have forever changed the grooming game with their Perfect Package 3.0. I'm talking precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. The Perfect Package 3.0 kit comes with the Essential Lawnmower 3.0 Waterproof Cordless Body Trimmer and tons of other liquid formulations to round out your manscaping routine. This third generation trimmer features cutting edge ceramic blades to reduce manscaping accidents. Millions of balls are about to go nick free thanks to Manscaped's advanced skin safe technology. Manscaped obsesses over technology to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience and they only use the best ingredients in their formulation it's science inside the perfect package you'll also find the manscaped crop preserver an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer 
It's starting to get hot outside and this is crucial so your ball stops sticking to your leg. And as a treat, you'll find the Crop Reviver which will keep your ball smelling fresh just like spring flowers. Subscribe to The Perfect Package and get a new replacement blade refill for your lawnmower trimmer delivered to your door every three months, making sure your trimmer always stays hygienic and clean. For a limited time, subscribers get two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag, a $39 value, and the patented high-performance reduced chafing Manscaped Boxer Briefs. This is the perfect package for your perfect package. Get 20% off plus free shipping when you go to manscaped.com slash nerdshow. Do yourself a favor and always use the right tools for the job. That's right, Christian. Get 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com slash nerdshow. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com slash nerdshow. It's spring cleaning, baby, and your balls will thank you. And remind them the nerd sent you. All right, Christian, it's that time again. What time is it, Dan? It's time for Christian's Corner. All right, guys, another great week of video game news. Tons of things coming out left and right. Um, We finally got to see more Cyberpunk, uh, which I was super excited about. But um, there's a couple other games I want to talk about first. Uh, the first one being Halo Infinite uh, finally had a little teaser trailer. Kind of kind of gave us a glimpse of what could possibly be the main villains, uh, which is the group called the Banished. Now, uh, if you don't know what the Banished are, they're a group of grunts and elites that are a splinter faction of the Covenant. Um, you know, they're mostly featured in Halo Wars 2, and it, it'd be interesting to see like if, if those top-down RTSs actually like create a story that affects the main game. Is that something that you guys would be interested in seeing? Because I'm not, I wasn't a big fan of Halo Wars. It wasn't a very fun game for me. But I mean, a lot of people do enjoy it, and it does get to play with the lore some more. Um, I'm interested in fighting grunts and, you know, leads all over again. You know, it seems like the easiest way to bring back um, that enemy class in the fucking main game. So why not? Why not use the banish? It makes perfect sense to me. Um, also, uh, Pokebot had a. A game announcement this week uh pokemon unite which is a a fucking moba um you know fans immediately were outraged because this is not what they were expecting you know from the from the ad it felt like it was going to be kind of like maybe you know switch battles like um kind of like a pokemon go with your uh, switch but then they quickly showed that it was a five on five moba uh, which is just kind of like out of the box for you know a Pokemon game. Um, you know I'm I'm not I'm not really into Pokemon as much as others. Um, I, I've said this multiple times on the show, so this shouldn't be a shock. But I, I just I, I'm not I haven't played Pokemon since probably uh, I don't know I was eight. <laughs> you know uh, good old gold and silver and all that junk. Um, and I, I've watched it, you know, really like evolve and grow. And I, I like when they make the main game, but you know, stuff like this seems just very left field. But I mean, at the same time, a lot of places and people are, um, you know, expecting this game to bring a new audience to the MOBA field. Now, MOBAs, I, you know, I, I've never really been into them. Uh, you know, I tried LOL, um, and it, it just wasn't for me. Uh, and I've tried a couple others, uh, and. It's, you know, it's it's just not my type of game, um, and you know I can I can understand why the average Pokemon fan would probably not be into this, 
But, you know, we'll see how it goes. We'll see if this, you know, creates a new fan base for MOBAs. I, I doubt it, but, you know, that's that's my opinion. Um, okay, and getting into Cyberpunk, we, we finally got to see Night City Wire, their first episode. You know, they had, they had delayed it a little bit, and now we finally get to see more of what's going on in the game. Uh, we got a whole new trailer, got me straight up hyped. You know, I actually fucked up and thought, you know... Um, the trailer was coming out on Friday instead of Thursday, so I was like, oh, I'm gonna have to wait a whole extra day, and then, like, I don't know where I saw it dropped, and that Night City Wire was, like, live streaming, and I was like, oh, I'm, I'm totally wrong about the time, so I was super excited to actually get to see, like, everything that they're doing. Uh, we got a new look at some new features in the game, like Brain Dance. Uh, Brain Dance seems to be kind of like, you know, the best way to describe it is that it's a, um, like, Arkham asylum type uh like detective mode where you um pretty much get to play with inside uh, a npc's mind and kind of uh slowly but surely unlock from their memories and i think that's i thought it was a very cool looking aspect i feel like that will unlock a whole nother level to this game that i definitely didn't think was going to be in it um, you know, everything that they're showing off again, you know, has just been more and more of what I want out of a video game. You know, I, I, I won't lie, I'm a little biased. I'm super into Cyberpunk. I'm super into what I've seen from these games. I'm super hyped. So, I mean, that's, you know, that's my opinion. Um, another thing that came out for it was everyone that got to play it this week got to talk about it. And, you know, people were giving it rave reviews left and right. You know, um, maybe one day I'll be able to be one of those people that get to play games early. But this was fucking awesome to hear their impressions of the game. You know, um, everything from, you know, the lighting being so perfect and, you know, how um, characters are able to customize themselves and stuff like that just made the game sound like a dream. You know, we, we got to find out that there's, you know, two different types of penises and a vagina and, like, um, how romance is handled. You know, uh, people, like have preferences and stuff like that they really made it seem like a real world you know um the game you know one of those things like with gta when you're up high in the sky you know they get they put little lights where cars would be well in this and then when you come down those lights are actually gone and there's no car there in this the, everything's there you know everything is real and real time and stuff like that and it's crazy to think uh, I had a couple. I watched a couple impressions uh, talk about how there was no like lock screens. You were always in control of what you were doing and your motions and you know how you communicated with people. And that's just it just feels so next level for a video game. Uh, you know how they're able to handle all this code and put so much polish into this. You know, thank God that they took the extra time because I mean I could imagine you know if EA put this up, this would probably break in like five minutes. You'd see the type of shit that would come out of like Mass Effect Andromeda, where it's just like a, a huge just letdown. But the fact that CD Projekt Red has been able to really hone this in, I'm I'm happy. I'm now that I've seen this video, I can calm down. You know, I was freaking out a little bit about having to wait two more months. But I can calm down and know that this is going to be something worth waiting for and worth playing. You know, um, I'm super excited for it. I, I definitely say check it out. Um, if you're not following us on Facebook, head over to Facebook. You can see the trailer right now. Um, and definitely stick with us. We're going to be talking more Cyberpunk. And when it comes out, we're sure as fuck playing it.
Hey, Damon, do you know what overclocking is? No, but I'll buy Christian. Is this one of your gamer things? Yeah, it's typically a gamer thing. But as a PC gamer, getting my PC overclocked meant getting the absolute max performance out of it. And as someone who runs their brain pretty rugged with late nights and what I gotta say is a poor sleeping schedule, I've often thought, what if there was a way to overclock my mind? Don't forget about your poor diet, man. But I see where you're going with this. That's where True Brain comes in, right? Exactly, Damon. True Brain is brain food in a bottle and guaranteed to push your mental power. True Brain is a nootropics formula to help overcome procrastination. It helps with verbal fluency, which is finding the right words when you need them, which God knows we need them on this show. Also, it helps with overall improvement to mental endurance. TrueBrain was R&D tested by UCLA neuroscientists with results that showed effects to executive control and attention. That's right, and TrueBrain has been featured on Forbes, Bloomberg, and TechCrunch. They actually studied brainwaves, and they saw a quantitative difference in them. They measured the brain with special helmets to figure out what gets your brain humming and apply it to functional nutrition. That's why TrueBrain has released TrueBrain Custom Variety Pack because everyone's brain is different. It's a drink pack with four different types to help you unlock your brain. This pack helps you find what's the right drink for you going forward. This smart product also comes in smart packaging. I really love the fact that it's in recyclable paper bottles. It's time for our listeners to boost their brain. That's why we're partnering up with TrueBrain to get you 20% off your purchase of TrueBrain's custom variety pack. Simply add our coupon code NerdShow at checkout. That's right, guys. Get 20% off your purchase of TrueBrain's custom variety pack when you use the coupon code NerdShow and find out the best way to unlock your mind. Get a burst of brain power and give the finger to procrastination with True Brain. And let them know the nerd sent you. All right, Damon, you saw a movie this week. That's right. I saw the horror film You Should Have Left. And now, our feature presentation. Alert potential spoilers ahead. Please navigate the show with caution. You have been warned. The house chose me. You must be guilty of something. People have always stayed in that house. Some don't leave. The right ones usually find the place. Or maybe it's the other way around. The place finds them. A former banker, his actress wife, and their spirited daughter book a vacation at an isolated modern home in the Welsh countryside where nothing is quite as it seems. This was directed by David Kep, um, and also written by David Kep and Daniel Kelman. And it stars Kevin Bacon and Amanda Seyfried. Let's hear what this movie's about, David. So I was excited when I first saw this trailer. It looked like a super interesting psychological horror film. Um, but I was more so excited, honestly, after I found out it was the reteaming of Kevin Bacon and David Kep. I'm a big fan of Stir of Echoes. Kevin Bacon's a super talented actor, and David Kemp is a phenomenal screenwriter. I mean, he's worked on Spider-Man, The Mummy, um, let's not forget uh, Spielberg films like Jurassic Park and War of the Worlds. Uh, so, like, with all that talent behind this film and a proven track record, what could possibly go wrong? Well, the answer, unfortunately, is just about everything. 
So, okay, we meet up with Kevin Bacon's character. He's an accused murderer. You know, they think he murdered his wife, but he's found not guilty in a very high-profile case. Public opinion is, though, that he did it, um, and he got away with it. You know, when we do, like, officially meet up with him, he's remarried to an actress, and they now have a young child. Um, you know, everything I just talked about, by the way, we find out just through a conversation um, between the mother and the child. Uh, but anyway, so Bacon, like, decides to take his family on vacation when just the public perception starts to get to him. Um, he decides to go to this isolated rental home on the Welsh countryside, because why not? <laughs> um and of course, like once they spend the night, you know, they can tell something's off in the house and their vacation and their lives, of course, start to unravel. Um, now, I'm a fan, first of all, of films that take their time to tell their story. I love the slow burn approach. Um, but this movie, at least for the first hour and it's only an hour and a half long, is like watching paint dry. I mean, the whole point of a slow burn film is it gives you time to get to know your characters and invest into the story. And also, like, for a horror film, it's to, like, build suspense. All these things are done to get you to care. But by the end of the first hour, you could just give two shits about this family. And it's because we get to know nothing about them and their personalities. Like, I guess all we do know is that, you know, these events happened in their lives. And now Kevin Bacon's character seems to be defined by them. That's it. I mean, it is absolutely paper thin characterization. We're not given a reason to care for them. Um, the performances are fine, like, but the script just doesn't do anyone any favors, you know? And besides the little girl, like, they're both kind of unlikable, um, the, the mother and the father, you know? And as far as being a horror movie, you know, all the scares that take place within the first hour are just obvious dream sequences, so you know right off the bat they're not happening, Therefore, it's hard to really get, like, wrapped up in them. And part of the problem is they're just incredibly lazy. Everything is rudimentary. It's like they're just going through the motions. And it's just not effective on any level. Um, the home that they chose, you know, to tell this story in is really super modern. It actually... It, resembles the house that um bloom house and this is a bloom house production um used for the invisible man where i actually want to go and check that out and do some research to see if it is actually the same house um but anyway it's super modern and it's really well lit so there's like zero atmosphere um so this like strange house that you know has a little bit of, of like a mystery behind it because it's just impossibly large on the inside compared to the outside and there's all these like weird rooms that just seem to pop up like randomly 
this this weird house is just bogged down by this like bad soap opera in the first hour this family drama where like once again you just don't care um and like finally when this movie does start to get interesting and you get deeper into like the mystery you're like an hour and 10 minutes into the movie and it's basically over i mean there's like an, a glimmer of an interesting premise but it's far too late um i know we said spoilers at the top of this review but you know spoilers once again there's this old man character who was in some of kevin bacon's dreams who i guess is supposed to be the builder of this house and we find out that he's kind of i guess capturing souls in this house you know souls of the guilty i don't know um it's kind of a cool like idea but you know give me more of that you know we get all that in the last like two minutes of the film so it really does nothing for you except just kind of wish for that film like we got to like sit through that film instead of you know what we got in like the hour and a half you know that just felt like a waste of time um so yeah this movie was absolutely disappointing um <laughs> if i haven't gotten that across yet well, that's just super disappointing, man. I mean, do they at least allude to this old man anywhere else in the film? Kind of. Um, so he's in like Kevin Bacon's like opening dream sequence. Uh, but I, he doesn't really like think anything of it because why would he connect that this could possibly be, you know, the builder of this house that he hasn't even rented yet? <laughs> and then also. I would like, and this is spoiler territory, so, and I know mm -hmm. the robot already said spoilers, but spoilers again. The old man is obviously Kevin Bacon. Like, from the opening dream sequence, like, when he's, uh, you know, it's Kevin Bacon's dream, but uh, it's this old man taunting his, like, daughter at night, mm -hmm. basically. But you could tell that the old man is Kevin Bacon. <laughs> so, like, right off the bat, you're like, okay, well, this is definitely going to come and play later on. Uh, so, and it does. So, But does it stick that landing? No, no, no. Okay. Not at all. Because they didn't give it any kind of, like, mm -hmm. real time to develop it. So, but uh, he, the architect of the house, the builder of the house, if you will, is brought up by the shopkeeper, like, in town, um, when Kevin Bacon's, like, looking for groceries and shit. So, like, he, he basically just brings up that, you know, uh, who needs to find the house will find the house. Some cryptic shit that, you know, is in every horror movie. He's, like, basically the town crier, I guess. And then he gives, like, Kevin Bacon this weird, like, protractor tool. Um, and he just kind of looks at him strangely and, you know, leaves the store. And that's it. So, like, you know, they drop you know a hint here and there and plant some seeds but it's not the main focus so we don't really figure anything out or why this guy's built this house or what the deal is um you know i, I feel like that'd be the much more interesting like film i, I mm. almost feel like maybe like there's like a half hour of this film somewhere on like the cutting room floor um, like, you know, maybe all of a sudden Cap found out, oh, we're only giving an hour and a half, and he basically had to, like, lose a major part of his plot, you know, so I don't, it was just weird, that you know, he decided just to kind of really, like, focus on the family drama instead of, like, the horror aspect of this film. 
I get you. You know, at the end, like, it's clearly, like, this house is, like, collecting souls. Like, all of a sudden it shows you a wall with, like, different people's photos. Um, I don't know, man. It just it just didn't work, <laughs> like I said, on any level. Yeah, I mean, if and if that's the, you know, case, you know, release the, the cope cut, you know. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> uh, but do, I will say this. You remember that rumor a while ago where people were kind of, like, talking about, like, the possibility of Kevin Bacon playing Freddy Krueger. Well, after seeing him play this old man, I could definitely like see him like in that role as Freddy. So that's so funny. Like you watch this shit movie and then you're like, well, he could play Freddy. Oh, he could. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And he's man. He's got an old. <laughs> I mean, I hope to look as good as Kevin Bacon does when he's like 60. But like, yeah. Like he's he's now wearing his age. Like he doesn't you he can't play off like you know being a forty year old anymore, a thirty mm. year old. So it and, would look ridiculous if he goes and does the dance scene now. Like just him playing Amanda Siegfried's like husband, it just didn't make any sense. Like they had no dynamic. It, it didn't fit because like there's such a giant age difference between the two, and I hate to each mm-hmm. their own. But you know, like he literally could be playing her father. So and they do talk about that in the film, but I don't know. Like it just, I felt like their relationship just felt unbelievable. All right. Well, if you had to give this movie a grade, what would it be? I'm gonna give this movie an F plus. Ooh, is that our lowest grade of the year? <laughs> it might be. It might be. Uh, the only reason I'm giving it a plus is because I think all the actors did a fine job in their performances, but otherwise. Yeah, this did nothing for me. Ouch. Well, yeah, don't check out this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, uh, I don't know, Blumhouse, Blumhouse, whatever. They, like, were on, like, a streak, it seemed like, for a while, but not so much this year. You know, they've put out some fucking, you know, pretty disappointing films, so, I don't know. Looking at you, Fantasy Island. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> was it Black Christmas? Oh, yeah, Black Christmas also. Yes. Invisible Man was good, though. Yes, I agree. Uh, And I hope that we can get more Invisible Man quality films, but we're just seeing shit from them. It seems (laughs) like they have a formula, and I don't know. They need Mm. to get outside of the box. Truth or Dare, that was another one. Truth or Dare. (laughs) Truth or Dare was shit. Yes. All right, it's time to put a bow on our artist spotlight for this month. Christian, when I think summer, I think summer blockbusters. And when I think summer blockbusters, I think Steven Spielberg. This month, we're getting in the summertime mood by talking all our favorite Spielberg summer blockbusters. Tune in every week as we discuss our favorite classics throughout the years. And to help us celebrate all things Spielberg, we've got an amazing giveaway. That's right, Spielberg fans. Rejoice. It's the anniversary of Jaws. And available now is Jaws' 45th anniversary limited edition. And our lucky listeners have a chance to enter our giveaway. Legendary filmmaker Steven Spielberg's cinematic masterpiece comes to 4K Ultra HD for the very first time. Includes over three hours of bonus content from his first ever summer blockbuster film. The winner of three Academy Awards, including Best Original Score. This classic is getting a limited edition combo pack with lenticular packaging, includes a 4K Ultra HD, Blu-ray, and digital code of the film. You will also receive a 44-page booklet with introductions, rare photos, storyboards, and more from the archive. 
The bonus content includes the making of Jaws, deleted scenes, outtakes from the set, and much, much more. Enter our giveaway today for a chance to win one of four copies of Jaws 45th Anniversary Limited Edition. To enter, make sure you are subscribed to The Amazing Nerd Show on your favorite podcast platform, like Apple Podcasts or Spotify. DM us a pic of your subscription on our social media. That's at Amazing Nerd Show on either Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And then make sure to like, share, or retweet our giveaway posts. And just like that, you're entered for a chance to win your very own copy of Jaws 45th Anniversary Limited Edition. That's right, Christian. Hit subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. DM us at Amazing Nerd Show on either Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, and like, share, or retweet our giveaway post. And just like that, you're entered to win this masterpiece. Take a bite out of the summer with the Amazing Nerd Show all June with Spielberg Month and our Jaws giveaway. All right, Christian, it's the time that everyone's been waiting for. It's time to select our next two winners for our Jaws 45th Anniversary Limited Edition giveaway. Drum roll, please. And the winners are Wes Bailey and Mandalorian Flash. Woo, congratulations. All right, go ahead and DM us your addresses, and we will send you your very own copy of Jaws 45th Anniversary Limited Edition. It's not too late to enter the contest. Uh, Go ahead and DM us a picture of you subscribing to the show on your favorite podcast platform, and you'll be in the running to win your very own copy of uh, Jaws 45th Anniversary Limited Edition. Don't miss your chance. We had four winners, and we got one more coming. That's right. We'll announce the winner on next week's episode. All right, it's finally here, David. We're at the final two of the Spielberg Summer Blockbuster Countdown. At number two, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Raiders of the Lost Ark. A film from Steven Spielberg and George Lucas. This was really difficult. I love me some Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um... This is the first movie I can remember actually seeing in the theater, and it definitely left a mark. In my mind, it's the perfect action-adventure film. I mean, Indiana Jones as a character is the epitome of cool. Like, he's willing to do whatever it takes to save the day. And that's what makes him different than other heroes, especially at that time. He'll bring a gun to a knife fight. He'll melt fucking Nazis' faces off if he has to. He's always way overconfident and way over his head, but that's part of his charm because he always ends up getting out of whatever jam he gets himself into. You know, like, he always seems like he knows something we don't. And, you know, I feel like that's one of the reasons he's one of the greatest characters in film history. A professor by day and an ass-kicking archaeologist the rest of the time. He's got this whole, like, superhero dual identity thing going, you know, and it just works. Indiana Jones, like, came out of Spielberg's, like, quest to do a James Bond film. George Lucas, you know, came up with the character to help, like, you know, just satisfy this obsession. Um, Between these two artists and the performance of, you know, Harrison Ford, it's hard to imagine this not working out. And, you know... It did, and well, at least until Crystal Skull, but that's neither here nor there. Um, this is the first time, too, like we meet Indiana Jones, 
And if you think about it, they don't bother giving us an origin story. Hell, you know, we don't get that until the third film. They drop us right in the middle of all the action. And one of the most iconic opening sequences of all time. If you think about it, you know, that boulder scene has been like parodied and spoofed and paid homage to hundreds of times at this point. But it's just the perfect introduction to who Indiana Jones is as a character. Like you get everything you need to know about Indiana Jones in that sequence. Um, but it's not a one-man show by any means. Like I think a lot of people forget about how great the character Marion is. You know, like another George Lucas creation, Princess Leia, Marion is no damsel in distress. Like she is a true badass you know drinking motherfuckers underneath the table like she's got a hell of a punch and she's not gonna sit around and wait to be saved in the 80s and honestly like for decades afterwards we didn't get many female characters like marion and that's just a shame you know this is just another example like this film is another example of spielberg setting the bar high for a genre and yes, you know, some other films may have exceeded it in the action or the adventure department, but those movies might not exist without this film. And no film, in my mind, has matched the charm. And I think that's what's its greatest strength and definitely makes it one of like Spielberg's greatest films. So like you mentioned, we both kind of you know grew up in a, oh, I grew up way further in a very far post-indie world where, you know, you see their influences in all the adventure movies, you know, out there, you know, even in video games, you know, you have Tomb Raider and Uncharted series. And, you know, while those are great experiences and they really take so much from Indiana Jones, you're right. They don't, uh, they don't hold a torch to that series uh, or that the movie in general. You know, Spielberg really, you know, caught magic with this film. And, you know, it's something that will always be remembered and cherished. Uh, I know you brought up uh, the Boulder scene, but I think the thing that, that brought like, that really sold me on him as a character was, you know, him bringing a gun to a sword fight. Um, I, that's, like, the most iconic thing that comes to my mind whenever I think of um, Indiana Jones. Spielberg's work with Harrison Ford throughout the film, you know, really shows wit and adventure in a very... I would, I would say in a light manner where it stays focused on entertaining the viewer rather than like bogging them down consistently with exposition and you know just a lot of things that we see in modern adventure stories where it just you know really slows down the film trying to explain to you how all this works and why we're doing this whereas you know this film just gives you the adventure and makes you laugh throughout the entire experience. That's why I completely love this. You know, Spielberg really found a way to focus on the entertainment, and that's what he's been a master at for years. Uh, you know, it's he was able to take the you know the best out of this picture possible and really put it out there on the big screen. And I appreciate that work that he was able to put in. And you know, even like we're we're gonna talk about uh, another movie after this where he had even less to work with and still made such a perfect you know thing out of it. Um, and I think what we got with Indiana Jones really um, personifies his skill as a filmmaker. And with that, that leads us into our number one pick for Spielberg's greatest summer blockbusters, Jaws. Alive today, who has survived millions of years of evolution, 
without change, without passion, and without logic. It lives to kill. A mindless eating machine. It will attack and devour anything. It is as if God created the devil and gave him jaws. So it all started here, the first summer blockbuster, if not the first big blockbuster film. Um, you know, the, the term blockbuster was coined, you know, from the crowd, like literally lining up around the block to get into the theater to see a film. Um, that's what Spielberg brought to us here. I mean, this was the rise of Spielberg. With this film's success, he was able to have Final Cut and bring us like this legendary resume of films, you know, that we've gotten throughout the decade. It, it, it all started here. So, you know, when I first saw this film, I was vacationing in my grandmother's house in um, Key Largo. And I remember this distinctly because it was hot as all hell. And like one of the selling points of going on this like month long vacation and being from Chicago was that we got to swim daily because um, she was right on the water. You know, and th that, that was, you know, something that I look forward to all year long until I saw this film. <laughs> Afterwards, I was so absolutely terrified I didn't even want to go on the dock, let alone go swimming. When I eventually got back into the water and it took a couple days, I never truly felt safe the rest of the vacation. And I'll be honest, like I remember the night after this like movie, I didn't even want to take a shower, which makes absolutely no sense. Like the, the shark was going to come through the drain to get me. But that, that's the effect this movie had on me. Um, what Spielberg crafted with Jaws was just a master class in suspense. He starts off the film with the introduction of the shark, and we witness the horror that Jaws is capable of in the opening scene without seeing anything. Um, this is all designed to just let you know right off the bat, no one is safe. And like not being able to see the shark effectively lets Spielberg tap into the theater of the mind. I mean, once again, less is more. What we come up with in our own imagination is always going to be just as scary, if not more so than what he can show us. Um, that, and it keeps us effectively on the edge of our seats throughout the entire film until the end where like the, it just crescendos like intention, you know, and we finally get to see Jaws in its full glory. But like, once again, necessity is the mother of all invention. Like we all know the story behind Bruce the shark, you know, nicknamed after Spielberg's lawyer. Um, this shark, this mechanical shark, it didn't fucking work. Um, and Spielberg, you know, feared for the, the film after this. Like he didn't know if they were gonna be able to go on. So Spielberg had to improvise. He already planned on not showing the shark for the first half of the movie, but he had to reach even deeper and build tension with his incredible storytelling and mesmerizing performances. 
also shot selection that like worked as like smoke and mirrors you know and editing to make up for this broken ass shark um he leaned into scenes with like a hitchcockian flair like you know the zoom on the beach you know the zoom in on the beach uh, on sheriff brody um is just the perfect example of this it lets you become one with the character in that moment you experience what he's experiencing it's hitchcock 101 it can't be overstated like you know the performances are absolutely key in any spielberg film um you know he, he always takes the time and lets you get invested in these characters because we get to live with them um we feel for sheriff brody because we've seen him with his family and through like roy schreider's just amazing performance we can feel like his sense of guilt over every life lost that summer the responsibility that like weighs on him so heavy and like even though like he's got all this like political pressure to like keep the beaches open um you know trying to sway his decision making he's not willing to compromise his moral code just a fantastic character um richard dreyfus is pure joy as he like energizes this film with this like neurotic like energy and passion like as a scientist who's trying to save the day but at the same time he's trying to prove himself worthy of just this saltiest sea dog of them all quint robert shaw gives one of the best performances i believe in the history of film bar none um yeah, and then with the indianapolis speech being one of my favorite scenes of all time i mean quint's haunting shark story terrified me um as a kid it, it still works today i found it absolutely riveting um it, it almost scared me more than the entire movie itself but like let's not forget to like you know the real glue that holds this film together is john williams score it's one of the most iconic pieces of music of all time people have never seen this film know this music and what it means it's the driving force of like the tension like escalating in every scene to like a fever pitch it truly is unrelenting and it's you know one of the many reasons this film is my favorite spielberg film of all time I mean, before I get into it, man, that was probably one of the most beautiful things you've ever said on Vine <laughs> about a movie ever. I feel that passionately about this movie. Exactly. <laughs> but all right, here, let me get into it. You know, it's funny that you brought up your grandmother because my grandmother, actually, who was, you know, God rest her soul, the most crazy Christian woman I've ever met, uh, is so strict in her life and you wouldn't think that she would like anything scary. But for some reason, she loved, you know, underwater monsters, like everything from Lake Placid to Jaws. <laughs> and, you know, that was kind of like my experience. She, me and her would like watch this movie almost every time I would come to visit, you know, that and Lake Placid. And it was just like, I, that's that experience I got to have with her. Uh, and that's, that's why, you know, that's the nostalgia I get from it. But, um, you know, what you said with, you know, how he was able to hide the shark, I don't even remember the, that much, you know? You know, I don't, when I think about the movie, I think about how great, you know, the shark attack was and how, like, awesome that, like, little moment where they actually fight it for a second is. 
Uh, you know, I, I don't ever think about how little the fucking shark is in the movie. Uh, but even so, when you go back and you watch it, you see fear and terror through character performances and well-written story. And that's so, it's, it's missing today. You know, there's so much more um, focus on spectacle rather than actually just getting out these great performances and great, um, it, it's, it just starts on the page, David. It starts with a fucking script and you just don't see it that much anymore with horror. You know, I, I mean, I grew up with fucking Saw. You know, that, that's mostly spectacle. Um, after the first one, it's, it's fucking just, hey, what kind of limbs can we cut off in this movie? You know, there's not enough suspense and stuff with horror. And that's, I mean, that's something we talk about with Halloween and all these other horror films. And, you know, just what Spielberg was able to do with so little shark in a shark movie is so fucking impressive. Um, what's even more disappointing is that directors that took the Jaws name decided to just get rid of most of that idea of built suspense and horror and fucking just went for that spectacle of a giant shark attacking people. You know, all the... I don't know if you've seen them, man, but these are some shit movies. <laughs> Uh, Jaws 3D. If you if you need something to laugh at, man, that's the film to watch. But you know, um, Spielberg really captured something great. Lightning in a bottle with Jaws, and I definitely agree that this is the summer blockbuster. And some, and I mean, we're seeing it today. You know, it killed the box office again out of nowhere. <laughs> so I mean, he is you know king of the summer blockbuster. Well said. All right, so even though our countdown has ended, make sure you tune in next week as we select our final winner for our Jaws 45th Anniversary Limited Edition Giveaway. Um, it's such a beautiful transfer. It's got tons of new special features, and it, it's just a must-have for any Jaws fan. So even if you don't win it here on the show, make sure you go out there and get your own copy. All right, but before we head out, make sure to head over to DramaCityProductions.com where you can hear us and plenty of other great podcasts. That's right, and if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, make sure you subscribe, rate, and give us a five-star review. Yeah, it definitely helps an independent podcast like us keep on going. And you know what? If you like any of the stories that we talked about this episode, make sure you go ahead and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and see the full versions of these articles, plus a whole lot more. Yeah, you can follow us at Amazing Nerd Show. That's your nerd hub for all things pop culture. Hey, and if you're looking to further support the show, go ahead and buy some merch over at Tee Public. They have shirts, they have sweatshirts, I think they have mugs, bumper stickers, the works, man. Absolutely. And you can also head over to ProWrestlingTees.com and find our merch there as well. Yeah, while you're at it, go ahead and pick up your favorite wrestler's t-shirt. All right, tune in next week. We're going to be talking AEW's Fighter Fest and a whole lot more. And don't forget to DM us a picture of you subscribing to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform so that you can be entered into the 45th anniversary limited edition Jaws giveaway. That's right. One last lucky winner will be chosen. So tune in. Yep. Well, my name's Christian. And my name's Damon. And that's the Amazing Nerd Show. Thank you.